0: ¡Gracias! Yo...
1: struggle is tonight, whatever whatever we're trying to give to you and not pick back up whatever we're having to battle against, Lord be our defense God, you tell us that we don't need to be our own defense, we don't need to defend ourselves in any way that if we are just still you'll be the one that defends us and so God we just trust you for that and that battle will be won by you. And that we can just lift our hands up in the air and let it go. God, we just want to sing to you from our hearts. Shut out all the noise in our life stuff that we're supposed to be doing tomorrow and whatever. We just want to stand in the presence of the Lord. Everything else fades away. everything that we're doing to focus our attention fully on you and to praise you for you are worthy to be praised. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, can I have a seat?
2: Good evening, Hello. all right, as I said some time back, I'm always going to open up with 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 through 5, to remind myself of who is in me and who is with us, and Father in heaven, I thank you that you are always with us. I thank you that the gospel is woven throughout the whole word, and tonight we see the gospel yet again. Glorify your name and make your name known. Amen. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. Tonight we talk about 1 Samuel chapter 18. And this is, we just from last week recap David has slew Goliath, he has been made known publicly. Up until this point, His anointing was private, only his family knew about it. He was in Saul's court, but the people as a whole did not know who he was. He has now made a public appearance, and we're going to see the effect of that appearance on Saul, on Jonathan, and on the people. Tonight we will see in Saul this out of James coming into fruition. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. And we shall see that in Saul tonight. All right, so as always, we're going to do our characters first, then we'll read through the whole story, and then we'll do our breakdown. And at the end, we'll have a summarization and hopefully time for comments and thoughts. All right, so our first set of characters, we've got David, who was introduced last week. His name is Beloved. I know that because my mom told me that all my growing up. Yeah, he's the youngest son of Jesse, great-grandson of Ruth and Boaz. We have King Saul, whose name means asked. We have Jonathan the Lord has given, or Yahweh gave, eldest son of King Saul, and he makes a covenant friendship with David. We see the Israel army, we see the Philistine army, we see women singing and dancing about David's victories, and then we have two potential wives, these are the daughters of um, Saul, we have Mirab; her name means increase, He's, she's the oldest daughter of Saul, and the first one that he promises to David. And then we have Michael, who means who is like God, and she's a younger daughter of Saul, and Saul tries to use her to trap David. All right, we're going to pick up, because believe it or not, tonight's story carries over from from last week's story. So this is after David returns from killing the Philistine, and he's before Saul, and Saul asked him a question, so we're just picking up from right there. When David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the Philistine's head still in his hand. Saul said to him, "'Whose son are you, young man?' "'The son of your servant Jesse of Bethlehem,' David answered. When David had finished speaking with Saul, Jonathan was bound to David in close friendship and loved him as much as he loved himself. Saul kept David with him from that day on, and did not let him return to his father's house. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as much as himself. Then Jonathan removed the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his military tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. David marched out with the army and was successful in everything Saul sent him to do. Saul put him in command of the fighting men, which pleased all the people and Saul's servant as well. As the troops were coming back when David was returning from killing the Philistine, the women came out from all the cities of Israel to meet King Saul, singing and dancing with tambourines, shouts of joy, and three string tr- instruments. As they danced, the women sang, Saul has killed just thousands, but David has tens of thousands. Saul was furious and resented this song. They credited tens of thousands to David. He complained but they only credit me with thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? What so Saul watched David jealousy from that day forward. The next day an evil spirit sent from God came powerfully. You know, you got to take off your that helps. On Saul and he began to rave inside the palace. David was playing the lyre as usual, but Saul was holding a spear, and he threw it, thinking, I'll pin David to the wall. But David got away from him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had left Saul. Therefore, Saul sent David away from him and made him commander over a thousand men. David led the troops and continued to be successful in all his activities, because the Lord was with him. When Saul observed that David was very successful, He dreaded him, but all Israel and Judah loved David because he was leading their troops. Saul told David, here's my oldest daughter Merib. I'll give her to you as a wife if you'll be a warrior for me and fight the Lord's battles. But Saul was thinking, I don't need to raise a hand against him. Let the hand of the Philistines be against him. Then David responded, who am I? And what is my family or my father's clan in Israel that I should become the king's son-in-law? When it was time to give Saul's daughter Merib to David, she was given to Adriel the meal as a wife. Now Saul's daughter Michael loved David, and when it was reported to Saul, it pleased him. I'll give her to him, Saul thought. She'll be a trap for him, and the hand of the Philistines will be against him. So Saul said to David a second time, You can now be my son-in-law. Saul then ordered his servants, speak to David in private and tell him, hey, look, the king is pleased with you and all his servants love you. Therefore, you should become the king's son-in-law. Saul's servants reported these words directly to David, but he replied, is it a trivial in your sight to become the king's son-in-law? I'm a poor commoner. The servants reported back to Saul. These are the words David spoke. Then Saul replied, Say this to David. The, king's des- the king desires no other bride price except a hundred Philistine foreskins to take revenge on his enemies. Actually, Saul intended to cause David's death at the hands of the Philistines. When the servants reported these terms to David, he was pleased to become the king's son in law. Before the wedding day arrived, David and his men went out and killed 200 Philistines. He brought their foreskins and presented them as full payment to the king to become his son-in-law. Then Saul gave his daughter, Michael, to David as a wife. Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter, Michael, loved him, and he became even more afraid of David. As a result, Saul was David's enemy from then on. Every time the Philistine commanders came out to fight, David was more successful than all of Saul's officers. So his name became well known. All right. Now we have the verse-by-verse breakdown, the deep dive. Warning, get your scuba gear out, make sure <laughs> your, your auction thing's on, and make sure you can handle a lot of pressure. Just saying. All right, so we got our, our first little section here. You know what? I need the bottom. Yes. All right. When David finished speaking with Saul, Jonathan was bound to David in close friendship and loved him as much as he loved himself. Saul kept David with him from that day on and did not let him return to his father's house. All right. So this goes back to 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 10 through 12, when Samuel was warning the people what a king would do. Samuel told all the Lord's words to the people who were asking for a king. He said, These are the rights of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and put them to use in his chariots, on his horses, or running in front of his chariots. He can appoint them for his use as commanders of thousands or commanders of fifty to plow his ground and reap his harvest or make the weapons of war and the equipment for his chariots. And here we see the effects of having a king play it out. Saul is taking David into his court to serve him full-time. He's exercising that. All right, now the next part of this, we've got, we're focusing now on Jonathan was bound to David in close friendship and loved him as much as he loved himself. And then we also see Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him himself. All right, now in the ESV, It reads it this way. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him his own soul. So, in your ESV, your King James, your New King James, and Amplified, they use the word soul. Now, here we have a picture of the believer in Christ. Jonathan being a picture of the believer, and David, of course, being a picture of Christ. So, out of John 17, Jesus tells us, that we become one in him and that refers back to the bound of the soul being knit that when we when we are saved god takes our soul and his spirit and brings them together and that's the new birth and that right there is the, that that part of pictures so this is a picture of of someone being bound to christ so just as jonathan is bound as knit as a david we are made one with jesus So for that, we got what Jesus says here. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that we may be made completely one, that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Another scripture that we have, which is the next one, this comes from 1 Corinthians 6.17. Now, Paul's actually using the illustration of marriage, but the point of it is anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. And so we got two references here from the New Testament showing that Jonathan here is a picture of, of the believer being made one or bound to Christ. The other part of this is the covenant part? Jonathan made a covenant with David. Now, how many friends do you have that you made a covenant with? <laughs> I mean, outside of, I mean, in modern, day, in our modern day vernacular, if you're not in a in a church, you don't even think of the world doesn't even think of marriage as a covenant. Right. So that's significant. Right. So here we've got, and this is coming out of Hebrews. I love, I love the way Hebrews puts it because. In the New Testament, Hebrews is the one place where we see this covenant and that Jesus is the new covenant. Therefore, he, that being Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called might receive the promise of the eternal inheritance because death is taking place for redemption from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So, we have the two parts of what it is to be a born-again believer in Christ. We are made one in Christ and we have a covenant with Christ. And we see those two pictures with Jonathan and David. Now, we're not done here. So, he's also a picture of John the Baptist. So, we have the... Yes, you're right. Okay, so we've got John responded, "'No one can receive anything unless it has been given to him from heaven. "'You yourselves can testify that I said... I am not the Messiah, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. So that first part, being a friend, the groom's friend, well, Jonathan is the friend of David, and he loved him as much as himself. So Jonathan was overjoyed over David. And later on in the next few chapters, spoiler alert, we see how broken Jonathan will be over David when he finally comes to terms that his dad is trying to kill David, and it just tears him up. The other aspect of it is that last part, he must increase, but I must decrease, and that's that last little bit there with Jonathan. He removed the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his military tunic, his sword, his bow... And his belt. And that is a picture. Now, not in this moment is he necessarily thinking I'm going to abdicate my throne, but it's a picture that he is not going to be the next king. And just like John the Baptist, the moment that Jesus' public ministry began, Jonathan fades, um, John the Baptist fades into the background. And the same thing here, the moment we see David become a public figure, Jonathan begins to fade. If you remember a few chapters back, Jonathan was the hero. He had gone and killed 20 Philistines, and the people <laughs> even saved him from Saul trying to kill him. Right. Just like when John, the, when John the Baptist was in the wilderness, everybody flocked to him. Everybody was out there to get baptized by him. They were the prominent ones on the stage, but the moment David and Jesus get on the, become public, they fade into the background. Right. So he's a picture of John the Baptist in that regard. All right. Now now we're going to look at how David is a picture of Christ and then also how Saul is a picture of the priest, the, the Pharisees and he's a picture of the flesh. So we got David marched out with the army and was successful in every, everything Saul sent him to do. Saul put him in command of the fighting men, which pleased all the people, and Saul's ser- servant as well. As the troops were coming back, and when David was returning from killing the Philistine, the women came out from all the cities of Israel to meet King Saul, singing and dancing with tambourine, with shouts of joy, with three string instruments. They danced, the women sang. Saul has killed his thousands, but David his 10,000s." Now, again, I highlight the returning from the Philistine. We're at the end of the day or on the journey from killing the Goliath. He's just made his public appearance And the people are like in awe of him. He's like this big figure. Now, this comes from Luke 4, 14 through 15, which is right after he gets baptized by John the Baptist, right after he comes out of the wilderness, and immediately as he's on a public scene, Jesus is getting praised like crazy. Then Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. He was teaching in the synagogues, being praised by everyone. So, we have those two similar pictures. Now, we're going to look at – bear with me. I have too many papers and too much in my head. Yes. Okay, yeah, slide 20 now. As they dance, the women sing – okay, now we're focusing on Saul – Saul. So then we're in the next part. So they just gave that sing, and what does Saul do? He is furious and resented the song. Now, isn't that the response the Pharisees had the moment Jesus gets on the scene and they start listening to him and they don't like him? They, they're, they're infuriated with him. On the Sabbath, he returned, this Jesus, from the, entered the synagogue and was teaching. A man was... Was, th- was there whose right hand was shriveled. The scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath so they could find a charge against him. But he knew their thoughts and told the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand here. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? After looking around at them, he told them, stretch out your hand. He did, and his hand was restored. They, the Pharisees, however, were filled with rage and started discussing with one another what they might to do with Jesus. So we've got Saul's attitude towards David. He's jealous because David's getting the praise, and he's getting all the recognition that he used to get, and now he's not getting it. And that's the same thing with the Pharisees. Jesus was getting recognition. The people started flocking to him and not them. Jealousy is the root of this. Okay, and the fact is, it says there that, yes, Saul was starting to watch him closely, and the Pharisees were doing the same thing, looking for an opportunity to try to destroy him or kill him, which is what we'll see here coming up. What does he try to use with the two daughters, and why does he keep sending him out to war? Hoping that he'll get killed. All right, so 21, yeah. All right, the very next day. So Saul himself has given himself over to his desires. He chose to be jealous, he chose to be angry, and he chose to hate. That was his choice. The next day, an evil spirit from God came powerfully on Saul, and he began to rave inside the palace. David was playing the lyre as usual, but Saul holding a spear. And he threw it thinking, I'll pin David to the wall. But David got away from him twice. Now, this reminds me of what we have in Romans chapter 1, verse 28. And because they, that being the Gentiles, but anyone who does not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so they will not do what is right. They are filled with unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Although they know God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they applaud others who practice them. Just like we saw way back with Pharaoh, he hardened his heart and God hardens it further. Here, Saul chooses to be jealous, Saul chooses to hate, and God's like, okay. And he sends an evil spirit to just increase it and to torment him. But remember, Saul chose it first. Now, here again we have a picture. Um, It says that David managed to get away from him twice. Well, something happens, you know, because it wasn't got Jesus appointed time, but the crowd tried to kill Jesus, and he was able to get away also. He said, Truly I tell you, no prophet except in his hometown, but I say to you, there were certainly many widows in Israel in Elijah's day, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, while great famine came over all the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them except the widow at Zareph in Sidon. And, the prophet Eli- and in the prophet Elijah's time, there were many in Israel who had leprosy, and yet were, none of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. They got up, drove him out of town, and brought him to the edge of the hill that their town was built on, intending to hurl him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. So there, again, we have a similar picture between David and Jesus. Saul tries to kill David. He manages to dodge it and get away. They actually try to throw him over a cliff. Now, I imagine he's close to the edge of the cliff, and they're like gathered around him. You and I probably couldn't just get through that, but Jesus managed to pass right on through them like nothing. All right. Okay, so... We got that Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had left Saul. So Saul recognizes, wait a minute, I used to have the Holy Spirit. I used to be the one that God was putting this, but now David's got it. It's not on me anymore, it's on him. And therefore, Saul sent David away from him and made, a commander, and made him a commander where a thousand men, David led the troops. And continued to be successful in all his activities because the Lord was with him. When Saul observed that David was very successful, he dreaded him. So his fear of him and all of that is just increasing, increasing, increasing. Now, here we have Saul being a picture of the flesh. And Paul in Galatians alludes the relationship between the flesh and the spirit by going back to Ishmael and Isaac. And when we look at the relationship of Ishmael to Isaac in the attitude... We see a similar thing between Saul and David, and the, the Pharisees and Jesus, and the flesh and the Holy Spirit. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave, and the other by a free woman. But the one by the slave was born as a result of the flesh, but while the one of the free woman was born by, through the promise. Now you too, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of a promise, but just as the the child born as a result of the flesh persecuted the one born as a result of the spirit. So also now, but what does the scripture say? Drive out the slave and her son, and the son of the slave will never be a co heir with the son of the free woman. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave, but are the free woman. So Ishmael was Abraham's attempt to get a son by his own hand, by his own attempt. Saul is an attempt of the people to try to get a king and not accepting God as their king. Isaac is the promise and the lineage that goes to David and finally Jesus Christ that God establishes. So when we look at David, the reason that he's put in position, two two things. Saul rejected God because he disobeyed him. But more importantly, that's the result of the act of the flesh. The flesh attempting to try to obtain a promise and a, and a blessing, but that's not how blessing comes. It comes through the promise, ultimately the promise of Christ. And that is how Saul is a picture of the flesh and how David is a picture of the spirit, just as, and ultimately the picture of Christ. So that is where we see Saul being a picture of the, of the Pharisees and a picture of the flesh. But all of Israel and Judah loved David because he was leading their troops. Saul told David, here's my oldest daughter Merib. I'll give her to you as a wife if you'll be a warrior for me and fight the Lord's battles. But Saul was thinking, I don't need to raise a hand against him. Let the hand of the Philistines be against him. Then David responded, who am I and what is my family and my father's clan in Israel that I should be the king's son-in-law? When it was time to give Saul's daughter Merib to David, she was given to Adriel the Moltelite as a wife. Now Saul's daughter Michael loved David, when it was reported to Saul it pleased him. I'll give her to him, she th- Saul thought. She'll be a trap for him, and the hand of the Philistines will be against him. So David so Saul said to David a second time, Can you now be my son in law? Now notice the language that Saul is using here. It's very similar, when I thought about this, the way that Satan tried to tempt Jesus when trying to give him all the kingdoms. So he, the Satan, t- took him, Jesus, up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said to him, I'll give you their splendor and all, his, all this authority because it's been given over to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. If you then will worship me, all will be yours Jesus answered him, it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. What's interesting, we have two similar things. Notice that David was already winning battles. He was already leading the army. He was already doing that. And Saul says, I'll make you a warrior, and you can fight the Lord's battles. But wasn't David already doing that? And isn't it the Lord that fights his own battles? He doesn't need us to fight them. All right, in the same way, Satan goes before Jesus, I'll give you all the kings of the earth. Um, Who created the earth? Both times, the enemy and Saul are trying to offer David and Jesus something that they already have. Um. All right, another picture is that part where she'll be a trap for him. This is how he's like the Pharisees. Um, I just looked up test or trap, and you just get... Here's some examples of times when the Pharisees intentionally tried to test or trap Jesus to try to, you know, get him to look bad. And that's kind of what we're seeing here with Saul. He hates him so much, he's got to destroy him. He he can't accept the other man's success. He is so insecure in himself that he can't accept someone else's success. But it's God who gives success. When you see success in someone else, remember, it's the Lord who gives success. And the same God that's in them is also in you. So we got Pharisees approached to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? Again, we have the Pharisees went and plotted, to, plotted how to trap him. They thought about it. They, they, they drew it on an engineering diagram by what he said. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. And again, we've got the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, demanding of him a sign from heaven to test him. They sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to Jesus to trap him in his words. So we have that two pictures where Saul's trying to trap David, trying to get him, trying to to find fault in him. Pharisees doing the same thing. All right, now... This last slide, I have to confess, I wrestled with this one because it's just more of the same. But right as I'm putting it all together and I'm like, I just don't know about it, I look over and I glance and I see some things. And so the Lord had a last little minute revelation for me. It's nice. Okay, so the first wife... He gives to somebody else. He finds out his other daughter really likes David. Yes, I can use her. <laughs> so he's really working hard to try to make this happen. And David's like, dude, I'm just a commoner. In other words, saying, I can't afford the bride price. Saul's like, comes back. Okay, you know what? Kill me a hundred Philistines and she's yours. And what does it say? He was hoping the hundred Philistines would kill him. And i never caught this until I looked at it one more time. How many Philistines did David kill, actually? 200! He did it twice as much! Well, I immediately thought about if someone demands that you go with them one mile, go with them two. So, this is what Jesus said. I took the whole, you know, we love context. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. Interesting. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on the right treat, turn the other to him also. As for the one who wants to sue you, take away and take away your shirt. Let him have the coat as well. If anyone forces you to go to one mile, go with them too. Give to the one you ask and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. I think this kind of fits this a bit. Saul is really trying to be evil here. He's trying to use this to destroy David. And David just goes the extra mile and shows him, the Lord is with me. You can't can't trap me. Or more to the point, God is showing Saul, you can't destroy my anointed. No matter how much you try, you can't. You see, the priests and the Pharisees could not take down the Lord's anointed, Jesus, until the appointed time. Remember what Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. They didn't take it from him. They couldn't. He laid it down willingly. He gave it up voluntarily. That's the key. So while David hoped for David's death, of course, we see he pays twice the amount. So when you walk with the Lord, he is your protection and your strength. All right, so tonight, next one, here are, here's the breakdown summary. We got Saul... He's a picture of the Pharisees and the others who were jealous of Jesus and plotted to have him killed. Saul is also a picture of our flesh that, wa- that wages war against the Spirit of God in the believer. He's always there trying to get him, a thorn in your side. That's the flesh. Jonathan is a picture of John the Baptist who came before Jesus and stepped aside, allowing Jesus to take the forefront. Jonathan is also a picture of a believer who denies himself and unites with the holy spirit that's a covenant friendship with Jesus yielded to him because we saw those two things he was bonded with david soul knitted to soul and he made a covenant with david and that's the picture of the believer in christ and david of course is a picture of jesus christ and as we'll see he waits on god to promote him throughout david's life especially here in these early years we'll see as we spoiler he has opportunity to take Saul out, but he doesn't. Remember when, you th- when, when, they, when Jesus was on the cross, the people kept mocking him. If you really are the Son of God, come down from there. And in the Garden of Consimacy, he tells, he tells um, Peter and his other disciples, don't you understand if I were to ask for a legion, they would come for me? Jesus did not take the Pharisees out himself the appointed time. He allowed the Father to do that. When He raised from the dead, that's when the truth of who He was was made known. Jesus allowed the Father to be the avenger of His enemies, and we see David follows that same pattern. All right, the very last one here, and I thought about this scripture here, but He looked at them and said, what Then what is the meaning of the Scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will shatter him. Then the scribes and chief priests looked for a way to get their hands on him that very hour, because they knew he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. Saul was ultimately crushed by God because he rejected God. He rejected the cornerstone. He rejected what God wanted for him. And in the same way, Jonathan, like the believer, his heart becomes broken for David. And like John the Baptist, he still has to die. But that's also a picture of the believer because the only way for Christ to reign in your life is you have to die. Father in heaven, I thank you that the gospel is hidden in your word. It's knitted throughout the whole thing. Glorify your name that we look at this story and we see that Christ is raised up and glorified, even in, in the Old Testament. Thank you, Father, for your word, and thank you for your great love. Amen.
1: That was awesome. That was really, I've read that story a thousand times. I never saw the gospel in it. That was super, super cool. I love how the Lord just weaves it all together. And you can read it once and it says something to you and you read it again three years later and it says a completely different thing to you. It's so cool how the Lord's living. Word just seems like it's brand new all the time. Well, stand up and we'll praise the Lord with a closing song.
0: If I ran away, you'd call me back. To you, if I were to deny you, you would still be true. You are the strength of my failing heart, and I wish
1: call us your children. Who else would have the truth and the life for us except for you? Where else could we go? And so, Lord, just thank you so much that we have this sweet relationship with you. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that paid for it all. In Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.